0: Uh, let's open up our Bibles. Can we open up our Bibles to psalms? Psalms is a cool place to open to start psalm seventy seven It's fun to start in the Bible, don't you think psalm seventy seven just for fun because the the picture may have scared you. Did this picture scare anyone? <laughs> does it if you know who this is, raise your hand. You are allowed to have a prize of the pin there's pins on every table if you know who this is you could take a pin it just so happens to be oral roberts and i don't know why it's scary i don't know why i chose this picture for the cover but just enjoy he's kind of scaring he's scary he's kind of staring back freaking me out man all right let's get serious though psalm 77 let's look at verse 11 through 20 it's about miracles do you guys like miracles i do as well Verse 11, Psalm 77, verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Everybody say miracles. miracles. I will meditate on your works and consider your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great is our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, the waters saw you and writhed; the very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured out, poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in a whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, and your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a fo- like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron it's about miracles it's about the workings of God let's pray and invite God here today Jesus we do we just invite you here today God God we say to you that we're open to what you want to do in our lives God would you open our hearts open our minds to receive more of you Jesus God we just praise you we thank you for being in here and everybody screamed Boom! couple uh when I was in college there was a new year's eve Get, get together, it was like four, me, and like three other buddies, and we got into a case of bottle rockets. It was pretty sweet. We began, you know, bottle rockets are the one with, if you don't know, they're the, the ones with a little, uh, like a stick, and it's the, it's the firework, and you light it, and it, it fires off. We started firing off those, got bored with that, then turned them on each other. And it was pretty fun. We were like across the yard with a whole case of bottle rockets firing them back and forth. We'd, we'd light them in such a way, maybe some of you have done this, light them in such a way and throw them over so they, they would go like this. And then on their way down, they would light. And just, it, it was pretty fun. And then my buddy made like a Gatlin gun out of them, had them all lined up in a, in a jar. And was just turning them, and I was like under them, lighting them and turning. It was pretty fun. And then we went inside and talked about how it was a miracle that none of us got hurt, how it was a miracle that none of us got our eye poked out by a, a flying bottle rocket in the middle of the night. But it was fun. And three of us, all of us were Christians. We began uh, actually talking about miracles. And one of my buddies there said, uh, yeah, I don't really believe in miracles. I hold to the idea that once the Bible was written, and maybe some of you have this idea or know of people that have this idea, that once the Bible was written, canonized is the word, uh, once it was canonized, all the miracles stopped. That all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like tongues, like God's uh, prophecy, like God speaking to us, miracles, healings, that all stopped with the canonization of the Bible. Has anybody ever heard that idea before? It's called uh, dispensationalism or cessationalism, that the gifts ceased. He had that idea. And so we were talking about miracles, and he said, yeah, I don't believe in miracles, because I believe that all miracles stopped when the Bible was written. Because the Bible is our source of the knowledge of God, and we don't need miracles. And I kind of agree with that. I would say that the Bible is our best way of understanding who God is. And it's, we don't need miracles, but I believe that God still does miracles today. Anybody agree with me? Any amens? Amen. I think so too. And so we started talking about miracles. And I've um, since then uh, come across a statistic that says that 92% of Americans believe in miracles, believe that miracles happen by some divine power. And they might not define the divine power as god of the bible but even oprah loves miracles right i mean she does whole shows about like miracles and stuff right anybody watch oprah don't look at me like i'm the only one in here (laughs) (laughs) i have been known to watch oprah here and there um miracles are cool and so as we as we got into this conversation about miracles after shooting the fire rockets at each other um uh, we, we were kind of going back and forth, debating in a nice way, in a Christian-loving way. And he finally came to the conclusion that miracles could happen. He was open to the possibility that there could be a miracle that could happen. He had never seen one, but he was open to the possibility. And I think, wow, I think that, that was just huge. I, I mean, I felt like I won the debate. I mean, if I, I felt like if he said that there's a possibility, if, at least if he's open to the idea that there could be a miracle because God's all-powerful, and he could do whatever the heck he wants, then he could do a miracle. And so he had this idea. He say he shared that, and I thought, man, I just won the debate because he's at least open to a miracle. He's open to the idea that God could be working right here, right now, in a real way. And I think that's kind of a good idea that, that we can have in our own, just our walks in faith, that God could be doing something through something that we see, something that we hear, just the fact that we could be open to God himself doing something through a prayer, through a uh, like a word. Has anybody ever been in a church when there's a prophecy or a word? You probably have been. You Maybe you didn't know it was an official prophecy. But if someone gets on the mic and says, I believe that God is sharing this for us today, that by definition is a prophecy. It's someone hearing saying... I'm hearing from God, and I'm going to relay that message of what I believe God is saying for everyone. That's kind of a prophecy. Let me give you an example of a weird one. Do you like weird examples? I know you do. There was, uh, I, I, sometimes I go, actually, I've been every single work day except for Friday to the early morning prayer meeting that meets at 6 a.m. That's early. Over in the World Prayer Center, you're all invited but it's pretty early, 6 a.m. I've seen some of you there. And uh, we meet and we pray, and every once in a while there's there's weird prophecies. Everybody know you know what I'm talking about, right? And usually, usually it begins something like this. They'll say, uh, I'm not sure if this word was for me or for everyone, but I'm going to share it. <laughs> and then you kind of know, like, oh, this is going to be a weird one. It's going to be weird and good. <laughs> um, well, one particular one that I, I heard one time was uh, a guy was praying, and he... He began praying, God, make me like my dog. And, and, and for some reason, I don't know why, you would name your dog Spanky. But he did. And so his prayer, God, make me like Spanky. I just want to be like Spanky. And you know when you're not supposed to be laughing in church? The, you get a, a case of the giggles and you just cannot stop. Well, it's, it's still funny to me right now. I'm thinking about it thinking, man, that was, that was a funny one. So i'm thinking to myself this is just hilarious i can't even concentrate on the prayer and then the idea came to me that maybe god was speaking through this word through this prayer so i just was open to it just the idea of the possibility that god was speaking through this weird and funny to me prayer and and word and you know what he did the prayer was about how we need to be like his dog whenever he came home the master would come home the owner would come home the dog would just run up to him and stay right next to his legs and he would have a hard time not even stepping on the dog because the dog was just right there wherever he went the dog went the dog just waited all day for the master to come home and it was this idea that we can be like that with God just this openness to God and just this excitement that you can't even stop from running around in circles because God is present I just think it's kind of cool don't you and so I was because I was open I mean I started off laughing but then had the thought that maybe God was speaking through this word, through this prayer, and I was open to it, and God did something. And that's, that's kind of today's lesson. It's about being open. So if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, all this month we're talking about church history. We've begun talking about uh, charismatic and Pentecostal church history. Has that been fun for those of you that are here? Okay, some of you had fun. I've had so much fun researching it. I've had lots of fun researching it. And so uh, we're talking about this. This happens to be the last Sunday of the month. But I know everybody say, ah. But next month, the book of Hebrews. Everybody say, yes. The book of Hebrews is a really cool book. One of my favorite in the New Testament. So if you're new to Mill Sunday School, we are all about going a little bit deeper in knowledge. This is more of a teaching time than a preaching time. And I joke around that the only difference at church between teaching and preaching is, is the presence of a whiteboard. If there's a whiteboard, it's teaching. If there's no whiteboard, then it's preaching. That's how you know. It's that easy. If there's a whiteboard, it's, it's teaching. So the, today, uh, let's go over the definition once again. Charismatic, I put it on the back of the skillet today. It's on the back. Quote, the sweet quote of the day it happens to be the definition of what charismatic means. And so if you don't know what charismatic means, Uh, uh, and and i'm saying that the word pentecostal is the exact same as charismatic for the purpose of what we're doing in here and going over the, the history of the charismatic pentecostal movements i'm saying it's the exact same thing so charismatic is the umbrella term used to describe christians who believe that the manifestations of the holy spirit seen in the first century church that's the that's the people in like the book of acts and stuff are available to contemporary christians that's us that's me and you contemporaries today and they ought to be experienced and practiced today. I.E., miracles, prophecy, healings, and a weird word, glossolalia. And so I put in quote, in uh, parentheses. Now, what is that? That's not, of no, the parentheses are these, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Parentheses, speaking in other tongues or languages. That's what that means. And so did you know that New Life Church is a charismatic church? We may not be a... A charismaniac church. Have you heard that term before? The the, the really into. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end. But we, I joke around that we are diet charismatic, or that we're charismatic light because we fall sort of in the middle between word and spirit, between spirit and truth, between open to the spirit of God and open to the word of God. And I think New Life Church falls in a pretty sweet location as being in between those two spectrums or ideas of where churches fall? Everybody say, bring it on. All right, let's jump right into church history. I had um, I had a hypothesis, a hypothesis that throughout church history, and hopefully I explained this well in the last three weeks, if, if you weren't here, we podcast the Mill Sunday School. Did you know that? We do. It usually takes about a month to get them up, mainly because of my fault, but... Uh, we do podcast them, so in a month from now, you could you could go back and hear last week's lesson. <laughs> but maybe we'll maybe we'll try to get that up sooner. We'll see what happens. Um, my hypothesis was that throughout the church history, church history kind of begins, uh, at least Christian church history, I mean officially begins with Jesus, right? Did Jesus perform miracles? Everybody said, "Duh, <laughs> duh." Uh, and then and then we have in the Book of Acts, apostles the the event of pentecost in the in the uh chapter two we have all these events of uh miraculous things tongues prophecies gifts of the holy spirit manifestations of the holy spirit um and so it's my hypothesis if you're writing notes joe's hypothesis and it's not just mine lots of people have this is that every 100 years there was something charismatic going on since pentecost since jesus came i mean jesus did miracles too since jesus came at least, and sometimes more than others, at least once every 100 years, there's a documented case of something charismatic. Every 100 years, there's a documented case of something charismatic. And they might, I mean, throughout the early church history, there was lots of groups speaking in tongues, listening to prophecies, um, doing miraculous things. There's lots of recorded events in the early church. And then we get into, like, the the middle-aged church and... Uh, coming to America churches, throughout all that time, My pot, and if you were here the last two weeks, you would have heard examples throughout all of that history of charismatic stuff going on at least once every 100 years. Sometimes more than others, but at least once every 100 years. Do you like that theory? I think it's kind of a cool theory. Yeah, I like it. And so, so that's one theory I have. If someone asks you, this is a little review, by the way. If someone asks you, when did the Pentecostal movement start, what do you say? Acts chapter 2, the, the Pentecost, when, when tongues came down, we would say, well, it kind of started there because that's when it started. But what if they asked you, uh, when did the Pentecostal movement come to the United States? What would you say? Yeah, with the first colonists that came over. The Quaker people, like the oatmeal, were into charismatic stuff. They were into receiving prophecies. Their meetings, they would just sit around and all be quiet until someone heard from the Lord. Kind of a weird and cool way of conducting a service, don't you think? It's okay, to, it's okay to scream in here. <laughs> uh, and then finally, if someone asks you, if, they, if someone asks you, okay, but when did the the distinctive Pentecostal movement like we see today kind of start as it is in America today, like the Pentecostal movement? You could kind of say, well, right around the time of the 1900s, there was a Topeka revival um, and a Zusa Street revival in Los Angeles, that, and we talked about this last time, that gave way to what we call the first wave of pentecostalism as pentecostalism is known today. And so that's a review all the way up until 1901ish. Is everybody good? Say turn to your neighbor and say I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> all right. So we're going to begin I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit to 1914. The very first denomination with a Pentecostal United States distinctive Does anybody know what it is? It's still around today. A.G., Assemblies of God. I heard it out there. Someone said it. The Assemblies of God, still around today. A pretty cool denomination. Unlike many denominations in the United States, Assemblies of God is still growing and and gaining more people and doing pretty good. Lots of other denominations, sadly. uh, The Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, even the Baptists are all declining in numbers. But A.G. is one of the ones that's still... Still doing really good today. I mean, it started in 1914. The first Pentecostal organizational network becomes a denomination in 1914. And churches spring up all across the United States. And it was popular for the lower middle class, especially in like the Midwest states. The AG just started. The AG church, Assemblies of God, started just flourishing. And I have a journal entry from a teenage girl around 1914 when she went to an Assemblies of God church you want to hear it how many of you guys like to journal guys or girls like to journal you do you i I love journaling i don't journal every day maybe like three or four times a week three or four times a week uh just it's kind of like a prayer journal is how i like to roll but uh this girl named alice reynolds she goes to an ag church and then journals about the baptism of the holy spirit have you heard that term before if you haven't it's in the bible go look at it it's pretty sweet um it's it's it seems like a second you become a christian you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm not saying you don't. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is how I think about it. It's is, is like a deeper connection with the Holy Spirit already living inside of you. And so here's what her journal entry says. The warmth of God's presence in that service deeply moved me until there was a complete melting of the reserve that held me back from a full surrender to God. Spontaneously, I rose to my feet, lifting my hands with a glad note of praise. That could happen right here in new life, don't you think? see it all the time spontaneously oh i just read that rose to my feet lifting my hands in a a glad note of praise thanking god for the baptism of the holy spirit praise god oh praise the lord as this praise came from my lips for the first time in my life i felt the physical manifestation of god's power all through my being and i sank to the floor god's day of pentecost had come to a hungry teenager in a few moments my jaws began to tremble and the praise that was literally flooding my soul came forth in languages that I had never known. That's from a journal entry from a teenage girl in about 1914 when she went to an AG church. Kind of cool, don't you think? It's about her experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's pretty cool. That's part of the AG church right around the 1900s. Let's skip ahead, shall we? The next dude, actually, dudette on your list is Amy Simple McPherson. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of her name before. Maybe you don't know who she is, but you've heard of her name. A few of us have. She's a pretty cool lady. And here's what's so big about her. It's a her. (laughs) Think about it for just a second. Throughout church history, since Jesus all the way up until like 1900s-ish, really all we talk about are the dudes. We live in a different culture now than, let's say, early church history. You know, we live in early church history, uh, looking in the book of Acts. Did you know that the Bible says in uh, Timothy 2 Timothy 2.12, is it? It says women must remain silent in the churches. If you're a girl, say, does this mean now? It says that. And here's how I interpret. Here's how New Life Church interprets that. We would say, well, we need to do hermeneutics like we do with every passage. Go back to the original context and say, in the context of the early church, when Paul was writing that, women were uneducated. They probably, maybe, had a first or second grade education. I mean, forget about high school education altogether. They were totally illiterate. They were kind of like the slaves of the society. Is that like today? It's almost it's, it's sad thinking about that, that there wasn't equality. It's sad thinking about that it was just so different from now. But that's the context that was in the Bible. And so many people think that, uh, the rest of that passage is be silent in the churches if you have a question go home and ask your husband because he can your husband has a more opportunity to know more things and, and paul's talking about disrupting the service don't disrupt the service with a first grade question i know it sounds horrible it does right but that's just a totally different culture back then than it is now so new life did you know that at new life church here today we ordain women pastors did you know that some of you are like i didn't know that we do it there's a there's a there's a, how many of you know Noelle Nigren? You know her? She she's the Mill Women's pastor. She's not the Mill Women's director, she's not the Mill Women's leader. She's the Mill Women's pastor. She's I don't know if she's officially ordained, but there are women at New Life Church that are officially ordained as a woman pastor. Cool or not cool? I think it's kind of cool. I think it's being obedient to the fact that we live in a different culture now than in the Bible. And there's throughout the Bible, is there any examples of a woman being a leader? Heck, yes, there is. There's lots of them. (laughs) Esther, (laughs) Ruth, Deborah. Uh, There's more. Did I say Esther? There's lots of them. There's, There's a handful, maybe 12 or more women who become leaders. And so there's biblical antecedent for that. And so continuing on um, with the same idea in mind, um, at the same time, you, did you know that New Life Church is currently looking for a new pastor? We are looking for a dude. I happen to know that uh, the, the pastoral selection committee is not looking for a senior, most senior, the top leader, pastor of our church. Isn't, we're not looking for a woman right now. We're looking for a man that's married to a woman. We're not looking for a lady. And so we have the distinctive that we kind of like the idea that the head senior leader should be a man. That's just kind of how we roll. We would never look at a church that has a senior woman pastor and say, you're in sin. The whole congregation is in sin. We, want, we would not look at it like that. But we would just say that our distinctive is that we just kind of like to roll. We like to think about. We like to have a male leader at the top, and he's married to, to, to a wife and has kids, and he's just a normal dude. That's just how we roll. You kind of get, I don't know if I said that in the best way, but I, I guess I just said it. To get to Amy Simple McPherson, who is the top, the senior pastor, she becomes the senior pastor of this church. Let me give you her background. Um, Amy Simple, uh, Amy marries a dude named Robert Simple. He's a Pentecostal preacher, missionary to China, but then he happens to die. So she remarries and marries her- Harold McPherson, hence the name, Amy Simple McPherson. Two last names. She kind of kept them. Kind of weird, whatever. While in her sickbed, in the operation, she, had, she was in, in the sickbed for two years. She recommitted herself to God's call. Soon thereafter, she experienced a near-death experience in uh, 1913. She almost died. She didn't die. And then she embarked upon a preaching, preaching career in Canada and the United States. She would do, like, tent meetings, just gather people together, preach to them, uh, uh, preach about jesus they would be saved she was pentecostal which is why we're talking about her and she's extremely important in our church history as pentecostal and charismatic and it's kind of weird and it's kind of cool and it's just it's just cool that she's a woman don't you think i don't know i think it's kind of cool let me talk more about her she had a huge radio ministry in 1914 tvs weren't invented yet uh, actually, the kind of where I guess it was like movie flicks or something. You'd go to a theater. Um, was, she had a huge radio ministry. She was an extremely, extremely good communicator. She could relay vision. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, someday I would like to be a big speaker. You might be thinking someday that you want to be a big evangelist. If you could learn how to capture vision and then give it to people and, and let them capture the same vision, you'll be on a really good, cool track to be. Uh, a a huge speaker because amy simple mcpherson was really good at that um she starts out of her radio ministry and people coming to christ thousands millions coming to christ because of her radio ministry her pentecostal um ideas as well she started uh, a church and she she had built a 1.5 million dollar building that's still in los angeles it's called the los angeles temple everybody anybody ever heard of it it's a pretty big deal I mean in the 1920s spending 1.5 million on a church pretty big deal I mean it'd be a big deal today uh, actually not I mean buildings run it's like a million no big deal but that back then it was a big deal she was called sister Amy an evangelist media sensation and she happened to be the founder of a denomination do you know what it's called the four-square denomination that's still around today that's still doing really good today and there's some criticisms of Amy Simple McPherson, um, and one of them being that she 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 got remarried after her husband died, which is which is totally biblical. But then she divorced McPherson dude, and then remarried, and then divorced that dude, and then remarried, and then divorced that dude. And so she, there's obviously some criticisms around her own personal life. Um, I mean, just tons of criticisms for her being a woman in the 1920s. Being a senior pastor of a huge mega church, and that's what kind of makes her so um, influential in our history as charismatics. That she was one of the first mega church pastors of a charismatic church. Pretty cool, don't you think? I mean, however you're looking at this this figure, that did have some criticisms about her divorce and the fact that she was a woman pastor, senior pastor in the 1920s. There was just tons of criticisms about that. We at least have to give it to her and say. Wow, you were one of the first mega church pastors that was charismatic in America. Pretty cool how God used you. Don't you think? Don't you think we need to give her a little credit? Raise your hand and say yes. I don't know why you rose your hand. I just thought about it. All right. Should we talk about Oral Roberts for a second? Do you like Oral Roberts? Have you heard of Oral Roberts? Raise your hand if you've heard of Oral Roberts. That's a better way to do things. All right. He's the guy that's on the cover. I don't know why his picture is so scary. I think it's because he looks like he's a wax figure. Maybe it's not him. It's just a wax. I don't know. He's a cool guy. I shouldn't be making fun of him. Here's Oral Roberts, born in uh, 1918. He's still around today. He's he's, uh, chilling. He's an American neo-Pentecostalist, televangelist, also a leader in the charismatic movement, and a faith healer. Here's how he started rolling. He started with uh, tent meeting uh, and healing services. I don't think he invented that, but I think he popularized this idea of going into town putting up like a circus tent and having people from around the around the city come to these meetings and it's it's um it's been said that he would wait before he was supposed to preach he would wait in a separate room and pray to god and he would not go out onto the stage and to preach until he felt um the power of god in his right hand until his right hand felt tingly and warm little weird but that's just that's just how he rolled he would feel the presence of God in his hand he would go out and preach and then with the same right hand he was known for laying his hand on people on people's heads or on their bodies where they were injured or needed a healing and legitimate doctor confirmed healings took place as part of Oral Roberts tent preaching ministry he was known for fiery rapid fire style of delivery and ever-present lines of people hoping To obtain a healing from God through His ministry, he's a pretty cool dude. He he makes it pretty big time because of those meetings, and then he becomes a televangelist. Now, whatever your opinion about televangelism is, um, I kind of—I mean, that's kind of bad. But I kind of lean towards the side of making fun of them. Anybody with me? Just kidding. If if you if you don't like to make fun of them, then just kidding. (laughs) But sometimes you just turn—you know—you're flipping through the channels, and someone's screaming and asking for money. You're just kind of like, eh. But sometimes there's some good stuff on there. I'm not all televangelists are bad. I had a, a, a teacher, um, Dr. Ulmer. Anybody ever heard of him? He's on TBN all the time. So if you're a big TBN fan, he's on there quite a bit. Um, he kind of hangs out with T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is a big time dude. Um, so Dr. Ulmer, I had him for a class. Big black dude with, uh, with uh, um, like a towel for sweating. But down to earth, I loved him. He taught a class about um, reconciliation. And his, his thing was racial reconciliation huge just powerful influence on my own life and thinking about racial reco- reconciliation but he said a quote he said the greatest gift in the last 50 years to the message of Christ has been christian media meaning radio tv whole channels dedicated to the christian message it's been the greatest blessing to the Christ- getting the message out there and then the next sentence he said he said the greatest curse to the Christian message, to the message of Jesus Christ in the last 50 years has been Christian media when we don't do it right, when, when all you see is people asking for money or see people screaming at you from television. So the greatest curse and the greatest blessing in the last 50 years has been Christian media. I kind of agree with that. I kind of like that because it's such a tool, don't you think? I mean, millions of people, uh, literally, I mean, the whole United States could literally turn into a Christian program and watch it and become saved. Don't you think that everyone has the, I mean, it's just on all the time. It's just kind of cool that the message is there. And so, Oral Roberts in the 1950s and the 1960s brings Pentecostalism because he's Pentecostal. I mean, the faith healing thing, I mean, duh, just clearly Pentecostal, um, brings it to mainstream. Um, he had a, Oral Roberts was a household name. And many stations, not just Christian stations, like networking stations, but like, I, I think it was CB, CBN. CBS carried a uh, spe- ev- ev- was it every night or a weekly show of oral? I don't even know. I've just heard story. I wasn't around in the fifties and sixties, um, <laughs> right? Yes, you were. Uh, he carried a program like a variety show where you would have speakers and acts and things like that, uh, like musical acts and things like that. And uh, he was, and then he would talk about the Bible and Jesus Christ. And this was on some of the major networks, and so. Um Oral Roberts becomes a household name. He is huge because he brings Pentecostalism to the mainstream. Has, has anybody ever heard of Oral Roberts University, ORU? Of course you've heard of it. It's a big school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Lots of the pastors at New Life went there. That is the first accredited Pentecostal secondary school in the United States. Did you know that? It's Pentecostal. It's distinctive is that it's Pentecostal. And on its opening day, who do you think he got to speak to open up the school? Billy Graham. I mean, who doesn't love Billy Graham, right? If you're a Christian and you don't love Billy Graham, I would, I would say you're not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It's about Jesus, not about Billy Graham. But Billy Graham is a really cool figure, don't you think? I mean, if you, if you had to put someone at the head of uh, the evangelical church and say he's our spokesman for whatever reason, it's kind of Billy Graham. And so Billy Graham spoke at Oil Roberts <clears throat> University as the first to open up the school, to dedicate the school. And that very much linked Pentecostalism with mainstream evangelicalism. Oil Roberts gave theology behind the weird charismatic churches, like the AG churches. There were used to be tiny little churches where they were called holy rollers. Anybody know why? Because literally they would, you know, under the power of God get down on the ground and you'd see them rolling around and, and screaming and raising their hands in church and listening to fast music i mean just crazy stuff right so, I mean you might see some of that at new life church they're charismatic and they were small and they're little churches but oral roberts gave theology to that movement he said things like when you speak in tongues it's not just this language that just comes out of you you have no control over it Oral roberts says you have control over it if you're rolling around and screaming on the ground it's not like you don't have control of it most people have control of it. They're just in the presence of God, allowing their body to be in the presence of God. That's how it's being manifested. And so, Ola Roberts is cool and is huge in the charismatic Pentecostal church history because he helped bring it to the mainstream American church. Do you see that clearly? You do. He's a, he's that, I mean, that's why he's on the front cover, smiling, kind of weird. You know, his eyes almost follow you. Kind of freaking me out. All right. That's Oral Roberts. How about we talk about, in, the, in your notes it says, the future of Christianity. Shall we talk about that for just a second? Did you know that 25% of the world's Christians are Pentecostal or Charismatic? Everybody say, wow, that's a lot. I mean, think about it. That's, I mean, no longer, New Life Church is proudly a Charismatic church. No longer are we a le- weird little church on the other end of town that does weird little things we are 25 percent of the world's christian population falling into charismatic or pentecostal that distinctive kind of cool don't you think i think it's pretty sweet 25 percent they grow we grow charismatic pentecostal uh people uh that distinctive grows 19 million a year it's the single largest christian group sector (laughs) i don't i mean because you see the problem in kind of communicating about pentecostal charismatic churches is that it's not really a denomination i think the best term is kind of a sector because there's lots of denominate lots of people within denominations that fall into being charismatic this dude alistair mcgrath he wrote he wrote a book pretty recently just came out called the future of christianity and i really agree with a lot of what he says i think he's a he's a professor at harvard and he's been studying just kind of trends in christianity and his guess is that, and I don't know if I agree with the first part, I mean, I guess it's, just, it's based upon facts and trends, but his guess is that Catholicism, Catholics, with its strong commitment to social justice and some liberal theologies, will emerge as the most vigorous of the Christian denominations in the future. Like, in the next 50 years, Catholicism will start growing and be, become um, a huge, rapid, trend-growing thing. That's just what he thinks. But then he says, with Pentecostalism as its close rival and possibly even taking first place. And I I think I like that one better. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) The remaining Protestant denominations straggling far behind. I mean, as many of you know, denominations as a whole are very much on the decline. Um, But very few of the most important changes will not take place in the West or in the United States. McGrath says that in, in reality, the significant developments in Christian theology and community building have already begun in Asia and in Africa. As time goes on, this trend will only increase. And so, even though in the United States, maybe, I don't know, this McGrath kind of thinks with trends that the United States might be kind of like Europe. Did you know that sadly, the European population, Christianity is like three percent of the of the entire population of Europe. Only three percent of people call themselves Christians. That's that's small. Three percent? I mean you think like with all the churches everywhere and you know all the cool buildings and stuff that lots more people would be Christian. It's considered post-Christian, and that people are just say, "Oh yeah, that was just a thing of our past. Where we've moved on, we've achieved something higher." But I don't know what that is. But they, I don't know. That's what they talk about. Um, here's why I disagree with the with the Catholic thing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to grow. Um, but Latin America. Did you know that Latin America right now is mostly Catholic? But the Catholic, the denomination is very much on a decline. People are stopping um, in their Catholic roots and becoming Pentecostal all over Latin America. The Latin American Pentecostal movement is freakishly huge. It's freakishly growing out of control. And so even though in the United States, denominations are quickly losing because they are an old kind of a European way of organizing churches and they're not serving people that well. Did you know that New Life Church isn't a part of a denomination? We're part of a network, kind of two, really, the National Association of Evangelicals, all churches that would say, oh, yeah, we're evangelical, we kind of fall into that boat. And uh, we're also a part of a life-giving association of churches. What's it called? Association of Life-Giving Churches. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there's just other churches all around the country that would consider themselves very much like New Life and distinct to New Life. We would consider ourselves like them. They would consider themselves like us, and they're not. it's not a denomination. It's a network, so that if you move to Kansas or something, you could look up a list and say, oh, this church is also part of the network of the life-giving churches. It's somewhat going to be like New Life Church. You're not going to see people rolling on the floor and screaming and barking like dogs, but we're still going to be charismatic, and that's kind of how we fall into the idea there. Um, let's see. I wanted to – because are you discouraged right now that the church in America might be decreasing – in the next 150 years or so, I kind of am. It's kind of, I mean, and it doesn't have to be that way, right? I mean, Jesus is, I mean, he could buck any trend in the world because he is the ultimate trendsetter. He's God. Hello. He could do anything. Think about it this way, and this should encourage you a lot. When Christianity began, when Jesus died, there was about 120 people upstairs in a room meeting, right? The apostles, some of the friends, disciples, hanging out, chilling. 120 people, kind of max. Then, what happens in less than 300 years? Did you know that Christianity spreads all over the Roman Empire? And at 311 A.D., the Roman Empire uh, adapts Christianity as its official religion. So Christianity goes from 120 people confused and scared in an upper room after Jesus died in less than 300 years. I mean, that's really like three people's lifetime. could see 300 years. To a world power, a religion of domination that was the world power. I mean, think about it. That's the greatest story of of growing that the world has ever seen. No other religion has done that. No organization has ever done that. No, uh, I mean, just in 300 years, no other country or world power has ever grown that huge in just 300 years because God is alive and he's still alive today, right? Amen, Amen to that. All right, I want to open it up. We have about 15 minutes left and I kind of want to, discuss a little bit um, this idea of what happens when God's presence comes. Do you see that in your notes? What happens when God's presence comes? And I want to ask you a question, and it might seem kind of funny, and I hope that it won't be offensive, a question that's offensive. I hope that it's just something that we can kind of laugh at ourselves about. But I want you to discuss, think of some crazy things that you've seen or heard about happening in the name of being pentecostal or charismatic. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some crazy things like I just said rolling on the ground. I mean that's a little weird. Rolling on the ground is if you, if someone started rolling on the ground, you'd probably think we need to call 911. Right? I mean so it's a little weird to say, "Oh, they're they're just rolling around because they're praying." <laughs> right and so discuss within your little tables you could turn to other tables too uh and and just discuss list just a few things 60 seconds tops some weird things you've heard about happening ready set go Did you get some crazy things? I hear some people laughing. Um, what's the, does anybody want to share the craziest thing they've seen or heard about? Anybody? You guys must have some good stuff. <laughs> Has anybody ever legitimately seen... And I've, I've heard of this happening, but I've never actually seen it. Has anybody ever seen with their own eyes or heard with their own ears someone barking in church? Literally, like you've seen it with your own eyes and ears. Barking. Has anybody, I've seen it not only on TV, but uh, has anybody ever seen, and this falls way outside of the line of being even cool or it's not even funny, but the snake handlers. Has anyone actually seen a snake handler service? No one? Okay, good. You know what I'm talking about? There's a weird verse, it's just weird, random, that says that Christians will have power in Jesus' name and they'll be able to grab snakes and be bit and not die. It's just, I mean, it's just such a random little verse. And they build this whole service around worshiping God and then getting snakes to bite them and not dying. The problem with that is that lots of people each year die because of <laughs> snake bites and these services. You, just said, you didn't have enough faith, brother. You got bit and you died. You didn't have enough faith. It's your own fault. <laughs> All right. We only got 10 minutes left. I want to cover th- this idea that I think is re- as, there's a reason as to why I had you discuss that. Hopefully, uh, if you're new to charismatic stuff, you, you'll realize that this is just weird stuff that's kind of in our history uh, of being charismatic and at other churches, um, weird things happen. And here's why I think weird things happen and then become popular are you ready this idea rocked my thinking when i first uh i first heard it it's not my own idea um take the example of laughing in the holy spirit have you heard of that before someone that, that joy comes upon someone and they can't help but in a godly way to start laughing not laughing about a dog named i <laughs> talked about that but laughing because you're filled with the joy of god I was, just, I was having lunch last week with a dude uh, who comes here, but he's, he's a flight attendant. He's not here right now. Some of you may even know him, and you could ask him about it later. He said that he was praying uh, before a mission trip. He was going to Uganda, and there was a prayer service held, and people were just getting into prayer, and he said that the joy of God filled him so much so that he, in a godly way, laughing about holy things, could not just stop laughing. He said that the presence of God was just so strong that and, and the joy of god came over him that he just couldn't stop laughing and he's not a guy that's like oh just kind of you know some people sometimes you look at people and you're just like yeah you're just kind of weird anyways <laughs> but he's not a weird guy and he's legitimate and he, i believe what he said that that's, that's never happened to me um but he said that the joy of god came on and he literally could not stop laughing now taking this example just as a figurative um not non-literal example if if you're at a church service and the power of god is there corporately everybody there says wow what a great service have you been in services like that before or not only you but you turn to your friends and say wow god just did amazing things and you go out to eat and all you could talk about is what god did in that last church service and so taking this example if god comes and shows up and someone starts laughing right in a legitimate way starts laughing um or another example is is in a legitimate way um it's called slain in the spirit have you heard about being slain in the spirit it's when maybe someone prays for you or maybe someone doesn't even pray for you maybe you just you're overcome by the presence of god and you could just kind of faint and you're just kind of laying on the ground in prayer does that can could that legitimately happen of course it could it's god how many people would say that either they've either experienced laughing or being slain in the spirit anybody oh wow quite a few of us okay that's pretty sweet And so those legitimate things do legitimately happen. And so, but getting back to the example, if the presence of God comes and and people start getting slain in the spirit, if the presence of God comes and maybe some people start laughing, then what could happen is you, um, you just think about the manifestations and you start to categorize if the presence of God comes, then there has to be laughing and people falling down. You just think that in your head. You're like, wow, that service was so good. If it's going to be good next week, then what has to happen is people have to laugh, people have to fall down. And it's this um, a bad way of prioritizing the manifestations themselves and not what God is actually doing. And so it's not like someone fakes it, but it's like if God's presence is here, then someone's going to start laughing, and that becomes normal. That becomes the sign that God's presence is there. And it's maybe, maybe it becomes a faking thing. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I was at a church service that uh, they were just into uh, being slain in the spirit. Has anybody ever heard of the Brownsville revival in Pensacola, Florida? Anybody ever heard of it? I was there like in the, in the 90s when it was like, at the peak of its um, revival when it was legitimately having services every stinking night. Every night they would pack the church and pack this other auditorium with like a TV of the service and thousands, hundreds of people every single night were being saved. I mean, a church service every night? Pretty sweet, don't you think? I mean, not just on Sundays packing out, but every single night. Pretty cool. I went there and uh, they were into um, being slain in the spirit. And so I was up there being prayed for and a guy was praying for me and he put his hand on my head and everybody else around me was falling over. And I was open to God. I was open saying, God, if if you want me to fall down and, and be in your presence because I kind of fainted, I'm open to that. Bring it on, God. And so a guy was praying for me. And he uh, <laughs> just kind of started pushing me. So his hands on my head, you know, and he starts pushing me. And you start going, leaning back further and further. And you get to here, and you only have two choices. You could either fall down, or you could just kind of regain your balance and take some steps back. And I didn't want to fall down because I was pushed. I wanted to, legit if I was going to fall down, being slain in the spirit, I wanted to legitimately fall down, right? And so I, I kind of did the backup thing, and he just kept on pushing me and fi- like <laughs> finally I mean I probably moved from like here to like here as he was pushing me, and then there was some steps, and so I just I fell over because I couldn't go back any further because there were steps. I didn't want to like go up on the stage as he continued to push me, and I just thought that's just kind of i mean in my thinking and 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 this just made me my example with this, because lots of you just raised your hand, and said you legitimately had you have legitimately laughed in the spirit or been slain in the spirit and it's never happened to me neither of those things have happened to me but i'm legitimately open to them but my experience with that and it's happened a few other times where i didn't fall down because i just was i wasn't gonna fake it i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna give them the courtesy fall i wasn't gonna do i wanted to legitimately if i was gonna experience this it had to be from god and so i just wanted to legitimately experience it i didn't want to be pushed over um it's just kind of who i am i'm not gonna fake this if it's from god it's from god he's gonna knock me over and that's gonna be cool but i'm not just gonna give somebody a courtesy fall because that's the way they do things um and that, that might just be my own pride but anyways um so what could happen is if at a really good service people start falling down and being slain in the spirit well then what could happen And i'm not saying it always happens i'm saying maybe it legitimately starts off with that of people legitimately falling over because of the presence of god but what could happen is it becomes just, the, it just becomes the way things happen. It just becomes that someone prays for you and lays their hand on you, you just fall over. That's just what you're supposed to do. If you see it, monkey see, monkey do. You know, you just kinda, That's just how it happens. But you're watching TV. You're watching Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn will pray for somebody, um, and then he'll put his hand on them. Every single one falls over. Why? Because it's Benny Hinn. Why? Because everybody else before them has done that. Does God legitimately touch each one and make them fall over? Maybe. I'm open to that. But maybe not. Maybe it's the courtesy fall thing. I don't know. And so this whole idea of just being open to the possibility that God is doing something through either laughter and the Holy Spirit, anything weird that you guys just talked about, except for the snake thing. I think that's just dumb. Um, Whether it's people falling over, whether it's people speaking out loud in tongues, whether it's prophecies, whether it's um, miraculous healings, whether it's being slain in the Spirit, I I think... to God, because those things happen in the Bible. I think it's just our, what we should do, what I should do, is just be open to the possibility that God could be using this right here, right now, in a real way. What do you think? You think so? All right, we got five minutes. Uh, I was going to open it. I wanted a little bit more time, but I got excited telling my stories. Um, any questions? We'll just kind of open it up for discussion, kind of like we did last week. I know that lots of you are in lots of different places, as far as being totally new to this, or you're like, "Oh yeah, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was four, and spoke in tongues before I spoke in English." <laughs> I, somebody was telling me that the—I uh, guess it was a couple of months ago—someone was like, "I, I was like, what? did what? Doesn't even make any sense." And you're just like, "Yeah." So, questions, Q and A time. But you got to be bold. You got to, you got to, because it's not like you just write your question down; and we'll answer it. You got to, you got to raise your hand. It's scary, huh? It's that scary. No, it's not. Yes, Veronica. Mm-hmm. Okay, the question was, if you didn't hear, are Catholics, her background is Catholic, my background also is Catholic, um, are Catholics, as they pray to saints, are they worshiping those saints, or is it legitimately cool, right, is my wording of your question. (laughs) And by the way, since we're talking about charismatic and Pentecostal stuff, did you know that there is a charismatic and Pentecostal movement within the Catholic Church? Did you know that? It's pretty cool. I think it's really cool. And as a Catholic growing up, I would say that just like New Life Church, there's lots of people that come every single week, and they have no idea what it is to be saved. And so looking at the Catholic Church, there's lots of people in the Catholic Church, they really have no clue about what it is being saved. But I could also say that about New Life Church. Here's what I would say about Catholics, though. Because I was a Catholic, came out of that, and became, uh, I mean, I guess the Protestant is the best way to say it. Do you know that there was... Yeah, that's another idea. Never mind. Catholics, um, I would say, are usually tend to be a little more works-centered. They've said um, their official doctrine is that you have to take communion. You have to go through their sacraments in order to have a right relationship with God. Baptism um, as a baby, communion, um, different sacraments along the way in order to be fully a part of God's kingdom. But we as Protestants would say that Baptism, for instance, is just a symbol of that. And so they're not necessary for salvation. And so to get to your question, the praying to the same thing, it's a little weird. But are Catholics cool? Yes, I think Catholics are cool. Are there saved Catholics out there? I would say, I would argue, heck yes there are. There's lots of saved Catholics out there that believe in Jesus, that believe that He's the only way to salvation. Is it weird that they pray to saints? Yes. Is it probably wrong that they is it wrong that they worship saints? In some ways, yes. I've been to churches uh, in Guatemala where they had all these little saints, these statues, and they were putting flowers and rosaries on them and praying to them and bowing down to the saints, these little idols of, you know, like St. Francis of Assisi. Is it wrong to bow down and worship St. Francis of Assisi? Heck, yes, it is. Hello? (laughs) We bow down and worship God and God alone, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, Let me close with this scripture, shall I? John chapter 20. Sorry, we kind of ran out of Q&A. Five minutes just isn't long enough. My bad. Um, John chapter 20, verse 24. It's about doubting Thomas. Thomas, this is 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Can you imagine, just for a second? Think about that. Don't think about where you're going. Just think about Jesus actually appearing to some of your friends, and then you're like, "What? He appeared for real? Like literally?" And they're like, "Yeah." But Thomas said, "Unless unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe." A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are so that you might believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let's pray right now.